My guest on this episode of Southern Search is Colin Nielsen, Vice President of Local Search at Sterling Sky. Colin is considered one of the leading local SEO experts in the world. He is a Google My Business product expert. He's on the faculty at Local U, and he's a contributor to the Moz Local Search Ranking Factor study. Colin is an in-demand speaker and blogger on topics related to local SEO. You may have read his work at Search Engine Land, Local U, Write Local, and on the Sterling Sky Company blog. The legendary local SEO, Mary Bowling, announced her retirement shortly before we went on the air. I'm going to start my conversation with Colin talking about the enormous impact Mary had on his career. Colin recently discussed how to build a unique local SEO playbook on a podcast with Bright Local. I'm going to ask him a few questions about that podcast, and he'll take us through the approach at Sterling Sky, which places a huge value on testing and experimentation. And it wouldn't be a local SEO episode if we didn't spend a little time talking about spam, or at least the gray area of local SEO. Colin describes the almost unbelievable lengths that businesses are willing to go to appear more prominently in local searches. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Colin Nielsen. We'll talk about the upcoming Local U conference on August 31st. We'll spend a little time talking about how to start an effective local SEO campaign. And Colin will tell you how Google penalizes spammy tactics. All right, Colin Nielsen, welcome to Sudden Search. How are you doing? Mark, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much. Really nice Likewise, to meet you. Likewise, this is the first time I've, I've met you, although I've followed you from afar for a long time and a uh, big fan. So a lot to dive into. I wanted to start with a big announcement in local SEO. Uh, I, I just saw this on Twitter. Mary Bowling announced her retirement this week. For those who don't know Mary, she's a serial entrepreneur. She's the founder of Local U. Uh, local U was eventually acquired by Sterling Sky, where Colin works. Um, she's like the host of Last Week in Local, a really important podcast with Mike Blumenthal, and I believe she's a, a, a colleague of yours. So all throughout Twitter, there have been these really great tributes to Mary and uh, stories about her. I'm curious if you have anything you'd be willing to share with our audience about Mary. Yeah, um, for sure. So I got into the industry in 2010. Okay. And um, my, my first influences in this industry were actually um, probably three main people, four, uh, we could probably expand it to. Joy um, obviously brought me into this world and, and sort of taught me, but then also uh, Linda Bouquet, okay. uh, if, if people remember her from the original owner of the local search forum. Uh, she was the original mentor and Mary Bowling. Um, so, so three wonderful uh, women were, were sort of my, my influences at the beginning of my local search career. Um, I believe the first time I saw Mary Bowling was at a local U event in 2012 uh, in New York City. Um, it was paired up with, uh, at the time, it was called getlisted.org, sure. um, so sure. back in the day. Um, and yeah, I remember uh, Joy and I walked into to the big conference. Uh, it was part of SMX, I believe, at the time. It was like a subset instead of its own kind of big thing, um, local U. And uh, yeah, we walked into this this kind of small room, and th there was Mary and, and Mike and Darren and Aaron and Mike Ramsey and all those uh, wonderful original people. And um, yeah, I just remember thinking that that Mary um, just had this way of presenting and, and teaching. I, I would say that's the best word that that would describe her as a teacher, um, and just her ability to like clearly articulate and dissect topics that, that should be kind of complicated. Um, so I remember then like fast forward, um, I think I saw her at a, at a MozCon or Moz Local, MozCon Local. 
um, probably 2015, 2016, and she did this presentation on keyword research. Um, and it was the first time I saw somebody just take this, this concept of keyword research and just boil it down to this simple um, kind of way of approaching it. And that was, so, so that's my, how I regard Mary as one of my original inspirations, as well as a teacher who can really simplify things that aren't necessarily simple. Yeah, that's really a gift. That's hard to do. Um, well, she'll be missed. So uh, congratulations on your retirement, Mary, and look forward to your next chapter. Yes. So shifting gears, I, I wanted to talk to you about a podcast you did with Bright Local, and I, I thought this was really interesting. You, you kind of go through your playbook, and one of the things that increasingly interests me the longer I'm in this is how to actually do the job of being a local SEO. So there's a lot of information about individual tactics or SERP features or GMB features, but not as much about the boring day-to-day -day activities, week-to-week -week activities of being an SEO, but that's really what you know we, we need so much more of. Uh, I'll link to the, yeah. to the podcast in the show notes because it's thorough. It goes through all of it, and we probably will not have time to go through all of that. But you know, just as a start, when, when you inherit a local SEO campaign, what are some of the very first you know, two or three things you like to do to, to get started. Yeah, uh, so anytime we start a relationship with a new business, um, we're always starting with that local SEO audit. Um, and, and so our audit is something that really probably initially had life breathed into it uh, as far as like the template that, that we create, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago, even before Sterling Sky. Um, so Joy and I were using some iteration of what we use now. Uh, it's just been continually updated as time goes on. Um, so we always start with that audit. And um, I always say the audit serves multiple purposes. So one, it, it creates the action plan, right? So it gives us a chance to look under the hood. Um, because if you dive right into an SEO campaign without doing that initial look, it's like, well, you're just going to be doing all the looking under the hood eventually anyway. So why not do all of that initially put the plan together? Um, but then the other really important thing that it does that I've noticed over the years is it gives business owners, uh, insight into how we think like Sterling sky or whoever on the team is doing the audit gives, gives them insight into how we think about solving local SEO problems, uh, which creates like aha moments as we're, we're delivering the audits because they typically our clients or somebody who's worked with, one, maybe two, maybe three SEO agencies and we'll deliver this audit and they'll be like, I thought I was doing local right. SEO for the last three years, but like, I didn't even know about this stuff or they never talked to me about any of this stuff. Um, so that's the starting point. It always starts with the audit. Well, awesome. And I think there's, there's a lot of this foundational work that you do. And again, you'll go, you go through it into detail for, it's about three months of this. It seems like there is this important inflection point after three months, like four months on, where you get into more of an action plan, maybe more repeatable processes. Uh, first of all, did I frame that correctly? And if I did, what are some of the components of that typical strategy months four and on, onward? Yeah, so def I think you ordered that well, yeah. Uh, so the first, certainly the first month, so, so we do the audit, we get into month one with the client, we've got our action plan because we've done the audit, we've reviewed it with, with the business owner, signed off on it, all that kind of stuff. Um, month one is probably a lot of setup as far as making sure call tracking is set up, analytics has goals set up and set up properly. Um, all that kind of good stuff is, is taken care of in month one. Um, but then we're, we're really starting to look for 
what is the low-hanging fruit stuff that we discovered in the audit that we can knock off right away, right? And a lot of that stuff, um, I consider, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I don't necessarily agree with the old adage about SEO taking forever. Um, I think in certain circumstances, it does take a long time if we're talking about massive websites or, you know, huge national campaigns. Um, but I think when it comes to local, you, you can, you can identify those things that are going to be fairly low impact or sorry, low effort, high impact. Um, you know, say you discover that's they're ranking number five across their market for a core keyword or maybe a longer tail keyword that presents a pretty good opportunity because you're only two spots away from getting into the three pack. Um, and you know, maybe there's some spammy competitors ahead of them. Uh, maybe there's a couple internal links that you can be adding from their GMB landing page to an interior page that can like just pop it, you know, two spots, whatever it may be. Um, so those are the types of things I would say we're, we're sort of squaring away in the first three months. And then beyond that, we start to work on maybe start some of the medium and lower impact stuff that we found in the audits, but still very important. Um, and then as we get beyond that, and we've kind of covered a lot of stuff that we initially identified as uh, to-dos from the audit, that's where we really start getting into uh, creating new tasks on an ongoing basis based on a couple different things. So one would be based on our own testing. Um, so we have a pretty um, organized kind of rigorous testing process at Sterling Sky where, um, you know, quite a few people on our team um, are, are part of the process where we have assigned hours every month um, and, and we can come up with test ideas. Um, you know, everybody can come up with their own ideas that they want to test to see if it's this thing. Does it impact ranking? Does it have an impact on click-through rates? Whatever it may be. Any of those tests that actually come to fruition and, and sort of get the green check mark, like this worked, um, gets baked in to the to-do to list. Um, so this could be like, it could be even year three working with a client and we figure out this new thing or this new discovery where we go, oh, this feature in GMB that historically we thought didn't impact ranking. Turns out maybe it does based on this testing we've done. So we'll bake that into the kind of to-do list on an ongoing basis. I love it. And it's something you mentioned in the podcast. It's that you and Joy sort of from the beginning of Sterling Sky saw that as something you really wanted to do, the testing and experimenting, uh, you know, it was a way to inform the overall company's processes. And that's not at all surprising for somebody who watches you, you know, watches your blog, sees the sort of presentations you guys give. You know, I, I'd like to just flesh it out a little bit more if we could. For, for our audience, explain how yeah. uh, some of those tests have come into fruition, have actually led to tactics or strategies for clients and day-to-day -day work that you guys do at Sterling Sky? Yeah, it's um, a good question. Um, so I'm trying to just think of some recent tests that got the, the green check mark. Um, so for instance, we, we've done some testing around things like the navigation menu on a website. And you know what, what is the impact of um, shortening that menu? Because um, kind of the way we look at it is if somebody comes to your website, if you're if you're a personal injury attorney or a criminal attorney, the overarching thing you do is, is personal injury. But then in your main navigation under practice areas, there's a 15 uh, page long drop down menu that, that dog bites, you know, this, that, that, and it just gets super deep. And I look at it as like that same uh, uh, decision paralysis mm -hmm. sort of effect. If you, if you go to a restaurant, you pull out a big menu and it's 50 pages right. long. Uh, a, it's harder to decide or find the thing that you want. 
B, once you actually decide on that thing, you're questioning whether you selected the right thing. Um, so, so like we, we doing a lot of testing around shortening navigate navigation menus, um, and something like that can have a significant impact. So once we discover that, well, that now becomes part of our, uh, task template, let's say for new clients that start with us. So when we create that new task list for them, they automatically have this task that says, Hey, check their navigation menu. How long is it? Um, okay. It's too long. Well, let's go through it and have a conversation with the business owner and say, what are, what are the top three or maybe five practice areas that you want more business from over the next six months? Let's leave those in. And then we'll create a landing page with all services, all practice areas that we can sort of link to from the navigation menu. That's um, so that, that'd be yeah, good. That's example. a great example. It's, it's just very interesting. Your guys approach. I, I like it very much. And I think it's, we benefit as, as just, you know, people in the industry from these studies that you do as well. So, uh, I, I wonder if we could shift gears just a little bit. I heard your presentation at Local U. I think it was in the spring now. Um, it was a few months ago. This was a fun presentation. It was about all the gray area. It's like Shades of Gray is the title of it. Went back and looked at it uh, before this, this call. And I should point out you're not endorsing any of these tactics, but it's it's something you've you've noticed and you've studied. Um, first, I, I wonder if we could go through these point by point if, if, if you've got time. So the first is something that yeah. everyone in local SEO knows about. It's annoying and, uh, you'll see people inject keywords or maybe a geo modifier into the business name. And, uh, you know, this is, this is sort of like keyword stuffing helps, helps you do better in maps. You know, for our audience, I, I sometimes blow past the basic questions for when I'm talking to a local SEO, but for our audience who doesn't know, how effective is this tactic of keyword stuffing? Yeah, it's, it's extremely effective. Um, and uh, just uh, wanted to, to mention, since we were talking about Mary at the beginning, um, so, so the title for that president, presentation, it was uh, Shades of Grey, uh, Controversial Local SEO Tactics that, that Drive Performance and Results. Uh, I collaborated with her okay. to come up with that okay. idea. Um, so, so Mary is, is very creative and I was like, I'm going to go to her and I'm actually consulting with her on, on some other presentation names. So that's something she's uh, really good awesome. at as well. Um, so yeah, it's extremely impactful. And the theme for, for that presentation was uh, what it all boiled down to is people need to pay more attention to what Google is actually doing versus what Google is that's saying, right. uh, whether it's in their help docs or tweeting, uh, when they're tweeting from one of their Twitter handles, it's very often, uh, very different than what they're actually doing. Um, and so keyword stuffing, what I was kind of acknowledging in this presentation was that yes, it, it's still to this day and has always since the beginning of like Google places and before Google places has had that impact, um, still does today. But now what we're seeing is this phenomenon where, um, I would say mainly lawyers, and, and law firms, but it's happening in, in other industries yeah. too, are, I would say, legitimately um, rebranding to get these keywords into amazing. their name. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it's, it's wild. They're, they're updating the logo on the website. They're updating, um, you know, their secretary of state, like everything so that they can do it. And if anything ever happens to their listing, they get suspended or uh, they need to contact GMB support for an issue. That won't be an issue because they can say like, that's my name. It's, it's on my website. Um, and as far as Google's concerned and how they act and how they deal with these things, 
through my experience, they seem to be totally fine with, with that as long as your, your real world um, reflection of the name matches GMB. And it seems to be real world seems to mean your website, your signage, uh, it's your location if you're a brick and mortar. Um, and they seem to be totally cool with that. The problem is that we're now getting to a situation in certain markets. And the one I highlighted in the presentation was the personal injury market in San Diego, where almost every attorney has rebranded legitimately to get the keywords in. Um, so now you have this like robotic kind of, um, I use an example of like stormtroopers, like, like everyone looks like a stormtrooper. So it's benefited you in some way for Google, maybe it increased your ranking, but now everybody's doing this, it sort of neutralizes. So you lose the ranking benefit and now you have this now like brand. branding yeah. sort of conundrum. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, that's, that's really going down the, the rabbit's hole on that. That's awesome. Uh, here's another fun one. One business, three physical locations, 16 listings. How does this work? And what are the pros and cons of this, this, uh, this tactic? Yeah. Uh, so that one I highlighted was a situation where the business had set up uh, all those extra GMBs outside of those three physical locations. So they were allowed to have those. Yeah. That's fine. Um, then they set up 15, 20, however many more, more it was um, at employees' houses, essentially, um, is, is what it seemed to be. And what I was saying was that this is happening. Obviously, I'm not suggesting this as a tactic, but it's very, very difficult for Google to, uh, to know, to, to really understand if a listing is set up at a partner of the business. Um, because let's say you have two partners in a business, Google is okay with you choosing which partner's address to set up your location at. Um, so if you're setting it up in employees' homes, um, how in the world can they, they detect that? Um, but then what it always comes down to is, look, this may work for a bit, um, but you're just going to run into challenges. It's not sustainable. If you ever have one of those listings suspended or have to deal with, uh, you know, negative review, so you have to contact GMB support. If they can determine that, like, hold on a sec, you've got 16 listings going on here. A, they're probably going to suspend that listing uh, or they're just not going to help you. Yeah. And say, you know what, until you address this, I'm not helping with the reviews or whatever it may be. Come back. So sorry. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. So. Another one of my favorites, uh, using schema to get those gold stars. So in that in the snippet. So this is like uh, where you'll have sort of an, in a rich snippet in the search results. How does this thing work? Yeah. Uh, so, so that was the one that, uh, out of all the examples, there was the greatest gap, okay. if you will, between when Google said something and then when they actually did what they said they were this going is the to best do. Example. I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so it, um, I can't remember the exact date, but it, there was a two-year gap between when Google said, we're deprecating, uh, the stars are no longer going to show for these schema types, etc. Um, so a lot of people just stopped doing it or, or trying to take advantage of that because Google spoke. Um, but for the next two, two and a half years, they continued to work. They would show in the search results uh, for certain schema types, not, not all, um, because there's review schema, there's a product schema, which has a review uh, that you can nest reviews under it. Um, and, and yeah, it's like, because those stars have such a dramatic impact on click-through rates, if you chose to listen to what Google said at the time and not observe what Google was actually doing, you would have lost out on two years worth of additional clicks when some of your, when some of your competitors were still doing it too. 
Um, so that was the perfect like lesson of watch what Google does. That's awesome. Well, there's one bonus. If you're a fan of the Sterling Sky blog, you can go and read your blog about practitioner listings. And so this is the case where, let's say you're uh, a law firm or a medical practice, and then you want to create listings for each of the individual practitioners. How are people using this in uh, maybe gray hat ways? Yeah, so this one would, I would classify this as one of the ones where there isn't an explicit um, rule in the guidelines. They do talk about practitioner listings and there's there's some suggestions in there. A few of them are explicit suggestions, but when it comes to the concept of, um, so, so the article I think you're referring to, which I published right. after the presentation, yeah, um, was the idea of solo practitioners. And um, the, the sort of generally understood rule with them is that you can have one listing if, if you're like one dentist or one doctor or one lawyer. So the listing would, in effect, would represent the practice and you Correct. as the individual. Um, but what we do and what we've suggested, because it works really well and Google, in our experience, seems to be totally fine with it. Right. And so this is a good point, too, is I base a lot of my understanding, not just on the, the guidelines, because they're pretty uh, vague in a lot of ways but also on my interactions with Google. So whether it's Google supports or um, through the product experts program, you get some additional insight. Um, and Google seems to be totally fine with a solo practitioner having a listing for the practice and then a second one to represent himself. Um, and certainly we've worked with businesses before when we started working with them, they had the two listings and we went through the process of actually asking Google if we can merge them together and more often than not, they just they won't do it anyways. They just go, it's it's not a big deal. Like you're a solo practitioner, have the extra listing. Um, it's not a it, it's not going to harm consumers, right, or, or anything like that. Uh, so it's that's a good strategy to take advantage of because uh, we know the primary category is is the most influential. So let's just say your um, let's just say your uh, facial uh, uh, facial plastic yes. surgeon, so this is a real world example, who also happens to do uh, hair transplants as part of it. Well, Google has a, a hair trans, or sorry, a plastic uh, surgery category, and there's a few that sort of fit into that bucket, so you can rank for those things. Uh, rhinoplasty searches will, will get triggered for, for that category, for instance. Um, but you're not gonna rank for the hair transplant stuff because the guys in that world probably are only doing hair transplants, and that's their primary category so if you can break off a practitioner listing with the hair transplant category, you can actually compete for that service that you Sounds offer. Like you have two primary categories. It's great. Um, well, awesome. Well, I, I think one of the things I'm increasingly concerned about, I was talking to Jason Brown about this at PubCon, but there's, uh, there's this perception that if you run afoul of Google's guidelines, let's say you didn't rebrand, but you just stuffed keywords into your, into your headline, uh, into your business name, I'm sorry. Um, there's this perception that you'll get a, a penalty and a further assumption that the penalty has some real teeth. Um, yep. A lot of times, it doesn't seem that way to me. It seems like this is just a game of whack-a-mole. You know, you're a GMB product expert, which for, for those who don't know means you really are an expert in how these things work and how Google looks at this. What actually could happen to someone caught violating Google's terms? Yeah, so th th there's varying things, and it really depends on a couple things. So. Uh, it could range from Google simply removing um, the extra descriptor from the name all the way to a hard suspension. 
Um, and when I did a, an actual case study on this, this was two, two and a half years ago, um, the pie sort of broke out into like all the listings that I looked at, so like 20% had a, ended up with a soft suspension, 20% a hard suspension, and then the rest, like Google just didn't do anything with or something like that. And what it really comes down to is, um, A, how, how spammy is the keywords that you're adding? So as far as Google's concerned, from my experience, there's a huge difference between a personal injury lawyer adding 10 keywords to their business name and um, a hair loss doctor working at a dermatology clinic who just adds hair loss doctor to their name because that's what they do. And how else are people going to really know? Like it's valuable for the consumer to know that. Um, so, so there's that spectrum, um, which Google definitely hasn't been explicit about like, like what that spectrum is. So it's just more through like learning through experience. And then also if you have, um, a competitor, if one of your competitors works with a marketing agency that does spam fighting and is, that's part of the process and they're reporting people to Google, um, that can, can sort of speed up the process of you getting suspended, suspended, because if someone reports you, um, usually I see if somebody's really onto you and they report you three times to Google and you keep adding it back, they report you, Google removes it, you keep adding it back. That situation will likely end up in a suspension. Okay. Well, very good. Well, listen, I, this is like, you are like the third or fourth person I've had on the show from Sterling Sky. So thank you, Sterling Sky for uh, generously coming on Suds and Search and your, your support. And Thanks for having me. And I got my, uh, Beer yeah, here, just everyone. It. Just, just uh, what time is it? Eleven o'clock here in Toronto. So this is ginger beer, just so there everybody knows. You know, ginger beer. <laughs> uh, I, I think, I think one of the things that says to me though is it speaks to how much you guys all do for the industry. Um, I, I know you have yeah, uh, you. some things coming up as an agency and with local U. Uh, at the end of the month, this is we're filming in middle of August, and the end of the month is the local U advanced. Uh, Yes. What should our audience be on the lookout for from Sterling Sky, Local U, all the other things you have going on? Yeah, uh, definitely Local U. So that's August 31st. Um, I was just looking through the agenda this morning, which is posted live uh, at the Local U site. And it just uh, gave me goosebumps. Mm -hmm. the, 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 like the speakers, the topics um, just look unbelievable. Um, then uh, there'll be... Uh, you know, nothing set in stone yet, but there will uh, be one more uh, local U event towards the end of this year. So people can start thinking about that. Um, and then I think just between now and the end of the year, we're just doing our best to, to continue to test rigorously, um, to, to keep adding to that list of, of like high impact items we can be doing for our existing clients, um, especially our new ones, of course, as well. Um, but we have a lot of clients who have been with us for three, four, uh, since the beginning of Sterling Sky, where we just have to continually be creative, finding new things to do. So that's a big part in, of what we've been thinking about. And our team's expanding. Um, we're, as of next month, uh, we'll have uh, a new full-time employee starting, which will bring us up to about 20 team members at Sterling Sky. Um, so we're doing that, that slow, methodical, uh, really good growth, uh, bringing in like the best people, and um, it, it's been working out really well. And we just want to continue to make sure that we, we put extra sort of care and attention into that part of, of growing the business. Because uh, we all know that that, that is something that can really derail um, an agency fast. And I've seen it happen before. So we're putting that attention and care into finding the right people. Um, and it's been working well so far. We have such a, an amazing team. Awesome. Uh, 
Real last question: How do people reach you if they want to learn more? What's your favorite social media? What's the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah, favorite uh, would be Twitter. That's definitely where I'm most active. Uh, just at Colin Nielsen. Um, LinkedIn. Uh, I spend quite a bit of time at LinkedIn. You can find me there. And I always tell people if you want to kind of um, look me up and, and check out any profiles, just search my name on Google. Um, just due to the spelling of it. And uh, I would say my parents had some foresight with when they named me with SEO in mind. Um, I've got the first page or so covered. It's got my LinkedIn profiles, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, just Google my name. Awesome. Well, Callan Nielsen, this has been great. Thank you for coming out. I'm gonna give you a virtual cheers uh, before I sign off. Cheers. We'll be back uh, next week with another episode of Southern Search. Uh, see, see you soon. Thank you so much, Mark. Bye. Take care. <laughs>